Once again, happy Thanksgiving to everyone. And if you're visiting with us this morning, we're happy to have you here today. And hopefully you have a great time in worship with us. And if you'd like to continue to get connected further, uh, a very important thing here at our church is small groups. And uh, let us know how we can introduce you to one of our small groups. Or you can look on the back of your program. And there are many of the small groups listed there as well. This morning, we're going to take a short uh, commercial break from our normal series and uh, judges to focus on celebrating Thanksgiving. And so if you have your Bibles or your devices uh, with you, then I encourage you to turn to 1 Timothy 1 is where our passage is this morning. It is toward the back of your Bibles in the New Testament just after uh, Thessalonians. And Paul is passing the baton on to his young apprentice, Timothy. He writes this letter as he charges Timothy into God's service. And so let's um, look there at 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 12 to 20. Verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service, though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent. But I have received mercy because I have acted ignorantly in unbelief. And the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and the love that are in Christ Jesus The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. But I receive mercy for this reason, that in me as the foremost, Jesus Christ might display his perfect patience as an example to those who were to believe in him for eternal life. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by then you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. By rejecting this, some have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme me. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the word of God. We thank you for that it is true and it is right and that it is precious and that it is good. We thank you it displays how great and a loving God you are to us. We thank you for this letter that Paul wrote to Timothy in giving thanks for the gospel, for the grace and the mercy of God. And Lord, this morning as we come to service, maybe it's hard to give thanks. Maybe we wrestled this week, Lord, with Maybe internal struggles, maybe external struggles, 
and our circumstances around us of, of work or family or sickness. And God, it is hard sometimes to give praise and glory to our God. But Lord, as we look deep into this scripture this morning, may we see the very graces of God. That we did not deserve what you gave to us, but that out of your love and your mercy, you sacrificed your son. And so it is out of the gospel, Lord, that we can give thanks and praise. And then it is out of the gospel that we can give glory to our God. And it is out of the gospel, Lord, that we can serve you and live for you. So help us to have a greater understanding of that this morning. And that we truly are thankful this Thanksgiving. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, once again, thank, uh, happy Thanksgiving. It is another uh, turkey day, and maybe in America we sum up Thanksgiving as food and family and freedom and, of course, football, right? Some of us will be playing football uh, this Thursday, hopefully, as the air clears up. But there's so many things to be thankful for, especially for the freedoms that we enjoy in our country. And we give thanks because of the men and women who are serving in the armed forces for the freedom to worship, the freedom to eat, even the freedom to play football. And yet we forget that our country maybe is still at war today, since 2001 in Afghanistan. And so a special thanks to those who have served and are serving. And many of those soldiers will be eating their turkey dinner airlifted to their station or their bunker while still fighting for our freedom. It is humbling to know that their Thanksgiving is much different than mine and, for, and yours. And let us never forget their service and their sacrifice. As Christians, do we, do we look at Thanksgiving in a similar light? Do we lose sight of the battle that we are in, that we forget that there is a spiritual war going on? Or are we stuck in the bubble of our own comfort? Have we lost sight of the spiritual warfare around us and that which we are called into? If that is us, then it's possible we have become complacent to the gospel, and sometimes we live for more of the comforts of this world than the things of God. And unfortunately, we look a lot like the rest of our country, an unbelieving world, then set apart. Now, there's nothing wrong to be thankful for the material things or the things that we'll be blessed with this week. But if that's all we're thankful for, then I want to suggest that we are missing the mark. It is easy in our American culture and Christianity to lose sight of what God has done and the fight that we are in. The Apostle Paul never lost sight of the fight that he was in. And in this book that we'll look at, he has allusions to a soldier, a man at war, and a mighty God. In verse 18, he calls it, fight the good fights. Or the ESV says, wage the good warfare. Later on in the book, he says, fight the good fight of faith. In 2 Timothy, Paul calls us a good soldier. And Paul reminds us the battle that we are in. We are in a war of wage of ages as a soldier of Christ enlisted into his service then what are we to be thankful for what are the things we ought to praise God for 
What can we give thanks to God for? And so there's three things, very simple and very easy. The grace of God, the glory of God, and then the call of God. So the first one, we give thanks for the grace of God. We praise God for salvation in Christ. The amazing mercy to save a sinner like us, that he has transformed us from death to life, from being an enemy of God now to a friend of God. We give thanks for the grace of God. Look at verses 12 to 14 for our first point. Paul says this, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to his service. And though I formerly was a blasphemer and persecutor, an insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief. The grace of God overflowed for me with faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. This first verse is like an umbrella statement for the entire passage. He gives thanks for the strength and salvation and then service in Christ Jesus. God judged him. God considered him faithful, not out of any of his good works or any of his future deeds, but out of the grace of God. Faith is a gift, and he gave that to Paul, and he does so to us. And then secondly, he appointed him into his service. He enlisted him as a soldier of God as we are too. And then Paul says in verse 13, though he calls, uh, Paul calls himself a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent. It is like a test, personal testimony that Paul gives to us. He recalls how he was before he was Christ. He was a blasphemer. He defamed the name of God in Old Testament times that would have been punishable by death. He was a persecutor of Christians. He, was arrest, he arrested Christians and even put them to death. And Paul says, because I ignorantly was in unbelief, but the grace of God overflowed. Paul was blind, but now Christ made him alive. He was transformed and changed by the grace of God that Paul deeply understood the gravity of his sin so he could deeply understand the graciousness of God. I can only imagine that at this point when Paul is writing this is that he went back to that moment when he met Christ. Right? We all know that. Most of us know that story when he met Jesus on the road to Damascus and God comes and meets him and says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And for Paul, his conversion was always in clear sight, close to his heart, and God re- redeemed him from his rebellion and his rejection, and he put him into ministry life. Paul, Saul the hunter became Saul the believer. Saul the persecutor became Paul the pastor. Saul the murderer became Paul the minister. And this causes us to pause for a second for our own lives and our own selves that where did you meet God for the very first time? When did you meet Jesus and how did he take you out of your blindness into his glorious light? Maybe you met him at a camp like Mount Hermon or Winter Vision. Maybe a friend at work introduced you to God. Maybe right, even right here at San Low. I always remember for myself the moment that I met Jesus um, or I became a Christian. It was at Mount Hermon Junior High Camp many years ago. It was a campfire moment, and Jesus became real to me, and God breathed 
faith into my heart and took me out of my darkness. And praise God for his good salvation. We each can thank God for our moment of salvation and conversion given freely to us by our God. We never earned it nor deserved it. Yet he was so loving and kind to us. Then in verse 15, it switches. Look at verse 15. Paul switches gears from his personal testimony to make a universal statement of the gospel. It is like uh, John 3.16 or a poster sign you might see at a football game. And he says this in verse 15. This is a trustworthy and deserving. This is, this. Uh, sorry. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the foremost. Paul throws himself at the top of the list of sinners saved by Christ. It is a definite universal statement of salvation that the Christ came into the world to save the world. Jesus Christ came into the world as the only begotten son, preexistent, not created, but God. Jesus committed the ultimate act of condescending grace by being born in human flesh, limited, giving up heaven's glory so that he might be our perfect sacrifice. Christ came to live a life we couldn't, to die a death we deserved, and to rise from the dead to give us victory over sin. I think this week as we um, live in smoke and we look at all of the devastation that's happened, sadly, in the camp, uh, the fire uh, in paradise. And we hear many stories of, of people just making it out. And they can only imagine for those people who made it out, there is great sorrow, yet there is great salvation for them. And in the same light, Paul understood his own sorrow over his own sin that he called himself, I am the foremost of sinners. He understood the depravity of his sin, and that helped him to understand the greatness of his salvation. Pastor C.J. Mahaney says it so well. Only those who are truly aware of their sin can truly cherish grace. If you understand the depth of your sin, then you can really appreciate the grace of God. You see, the more we understand the depravity and the ugliness of our sinfulness, the more we will grow to cherish God's amazing grace and the deeper we will grow in thanksgiving to God. The more you know where you've come from, the greater appreciation you have for what God has done and then where you are going as well. So for those of us who are in Christ, let us humbly think about our own sin so we can cherish and appreciate God's grace. We are rich and we are spoiled people. We don't deserve anything, but in thanksgiving, we thank God for his love. And if you haven't made that choice or that decision to follow Jesus, then I encourage you to do that today, to come to faith in God that is out of his lavish love for you that he died on the cross so that you may know him now and forever. Don't pass up on this opportunity to come to faith. So the first thing we see is we give thanks for the grace of God. Out of the, out of the grace of God, we give thanks 
and then we give thanks for the glory of God. We give thanks to God for his grace that leads us to glorify him and to see how glorious he really is. Grace makes us in awe of God, not just in salva- for salvation, but for who he is. It causes us to sing and to worship Christ the Lord and King. Look at verse 17. To the king of ages, immortal, invisible, the only God, be, glory, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. This is a very short verse that ends this portion. And Paul is so grateful because of the grace that he breaks out in song and in praise. This is a doxology, a liturgy of praise like we sing every week here at church. It is almost like Paul's karaoke moment, if I could say it. That he stands up and then he sings and he declares like David did in the Old Testament, God is gracious, so God is glorious. And then he lists all these reasons why. And the first reason, God is king. He is not any king. He is the king of kings. He trumps any president, no pun intended, and he trumps any royal. He's the king of kings, the commander of the universe who controls every nation, every tribe, and every tongue. He rules over all. He is immortal. He never grows tired or weary. He never changes. He, never, he lives forever and ever. He's the only infinite God, Alpha and Omega, beginning and end. He's invisible. That's an interesting way to describe God. God is beyond the limits of what we can see or imagine. We can try all we want to think about how God is and never f- come to a full understanding of who he is. God must be that different, that distinct, that our wildest imaginations won't ever come close. He is indescribable, unimaginable, only as God can be. And so then Paul just sings and worships God. I do the same, but then you start leaving today. In our world today, we've lost a great sense of awe and wonder of God. At moments, Thanksgiving has lost its true uh, reverence for God, for lesser gods like the God of food, the God of football. Thousands will watch. Even family can become a God. I'm not saying these things are, are evil or bad. It is good to eat. Football is fun to watch. Family is important to be with. But when we put them before God, then we've missed the mark We celebrate and praise man, not God. We celebrate kings of this day and not the everlasting king. I was reading this this week um, from our founding president, George Washington, and I'm not sure if you've ever read this, but when he instituted Thanksgiving with a proclamation, this is what he wrote. And I believe that what he wrote um, has a real biblical foundation in awe of who God is. These are his words. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of the almighty God, to obey his will, to be grateful for his benefits, and humbly to explore his, uh, implore his protection and favor. Whereas both houses of Congress, by their joint committee, requested me to recommend to the people of the United States a day of public thanksgiving and prayer to be observed by acknowledging with grateful hearts the many single favors of the Almighty, especially by affording them an opportunity peaceably to establish a form of government for their safety 
and happiness. And then he, he wrote, Now therefore I recommend and assign Thursday, the day, 26th day of November, next to be devoted to the people of these states to the service of the great and glorious being who is the benefactor author of all good that was, that is, and will be, and that we will all unite in rendering unto him our sincere and humble thanks. Great words from our founder. And that the original intent of Thanksgiving was not to cheer a pigskin game or to eat a turkey leg necessarily, but it was a prayer and a thanksgiving to our almighty and to the glorious great king, of ages immortal, invisible, only God. And so do we proclaim the same thing? Will Thanksgiving be about Christ or about what you put in your stomach? Will it be about the King of Kings and his kingdom or your little kingdom's wants and wishes? Let this week be about singing the praises of our God who is glorious. Let this week be about putting Christ in the center of our meals, our Black Friday sales, our football games, and family events. Let these be the moments in our week to share and to proclaim the graces and the glories of our King so that Jesus Christ might be known to those we dine with, those we shop with, and those we play with. And so far then, we, we give thanks for the grace of God and the glory of God as that's what we see here that he is our merciful and glorious king. And the third and final point is we give thanks for the call of God. God has shown us the amazing grace and awe-inspiring glory, and now he entrusts us into his service. The king of kings calls on you to serve in his majestic armed forces with an eternal purpose and privilege to honor him. Look at verses 18 to 20 for our last point. This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by then you may hold, you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience, by this rejecting some that have made shipwreck of their faith, among whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I have handed over to Satan, that they may learn not to blasphemy. In verse 18, Paul gives a charge and a command to Timothy. He is like a father to Timothy. He calls him his son. It is an personal announcement to his young apprentice. It is like a Jedi master training his young Padawan learner for you Star Wars fans. It is a general to his soldier, a teacher to his student. And Paul talks about prophecies made about Timothy. Now, there are no Old Testament prophecies about Timothy, if that's you're wondering. There are no biblical prophecies told of Timothy. There's no Tim gospel of Timothy. Okay. But there are affirmations and instructions made by Paul and others within the church to affirm his calling. Reports of his good character, lifestyle, and ministry. It's like a good resume or reference sheet that Paul gives here. And Paul is stating that Timothy is ready for the battle. He is ready to be in charge. He's ready to fight the good fight. It is a good fight. I have a kindergartner um, now, and uh, they give uh, the assignment that you can be the star of the week. 
And so she has to share in her class. And obviously, one of the questions that um, you probably have remembered from your days in elementary school is, what do you want to be when you grow up, right? And so her answer has always been, I want to be a mama. So sweet, right? I remember when I was in kindergarten, I drew this picture of a soldier and with a little kid with the bazooka on his uh, shoulder and the shooting at this cannon. I want to be a soldier. And that's the illustration here that Paul gives. That Timothy is a soldier for Jesus. It's a clear reminder to us that the Christian life is not a walk in the park or a free pass out of hell. We are enlisted soldiers in the army of God. We are in a fight for the ages, which God has already won. Praise God. And he calls us in to his service. And maybe that scares you. Hopefully that excites you more than it scares you. We are part of the greatest cosmic spiritual battle in the world. We have the honor to contend for Jesus. Therefore, let us not... Let us be vigilant over our lives and how we live. Let us not fall in temptation or be lazy. And then Paul gives this warning in verse 19. Look at that. Some have rejected the faith. Verse 20, among them are Hymenaeus and Alexander. And so he sounds the alarm here at the end. And the question then is, who is Hymenaeus and Alexander? They are fallen leaders and believers. Many scholars believe uh, that they were elders in the church. However, they wandered from the faith and began teaching a false gospel. Hymenaeus began teaching that the resurrection had passed, and so there was no future resurrection. And Paul now hands him over to Satan. And so what does that mean? This means that Hymenaeus and Alexander were probably excommunicated from the church. Paul enacted church discipline upon these two men because they had been teaching, again, a false doctrine and a false gospel. And so before you judge Paul and say, well, that sounds so unchristian. Aren't Christians supposed to be loving? Has Paul gone gone back to his persecuting days? Of course not. He exercises church discipline for the purpose of bringing that person back into right thinking and right living. No one should want to be handed over to Satan. And so in that sense, you would want to return out of the hand of Satan to the hand of God. And so Paul provides Timothy and us a warning and more importantly, a calling. As I studied these verses um, this week, I think they were um, more personal to me in thinking about um, what is ahead for myself. Pastor Rod is probably a lot more like Paul, strong leader, commander-in-chief. He's done a fabulous job in leading our church. And I'm probably a lot more like Timothy. I'm younger, better looking, and more humble. (laughs) Just kidding about the last two. However, I am deeply humbled by the calling of God to serve as our next lead pastor and definitely a privilege and honor to be serving in this capacity. As I reflect upon my own life and where God's journey in my own life, I look at where he led me. He saved me at Mount Hermon many years ago in junior high. Then he raised me at one of our sister churches in Walnut Creek. Then I came here as a young adult uh, in the young adult ministry, and you encouraged me and discipled me. And then God led me to seminary and then back to serve 
you here as one of the pastors, and I'm privileged and honored to do so. That's what God has called me to, but how about you? How has God called you in your own life? How has the Lord graced you to be a part of his team? How has God called you out to serve and fight for him? Maybe you feel unworthy to be part of God's team. Maybe you feel a lot like Paul. You're an enemy of God. How could God use anyone like this? Well, the good news is if God can take the chief persecutor of the church and change him into the chief missionary of the church, then he can use you. Maybe you feel unequipped to serve God and God's team. I don't know enough of the Bible. I'm not spiritual enough. Well, good news is maybe Timothy felt a lot like that. He was younger than Paul. He had big, feel, big shoes to fill. He was timid and shy. Yet God made him into the next leader of the church. If that's you, I encourage you to grow, to learn, to be in a small group, to ask one of the pastors what place you can serve in, and God will use you for his glory. Maybe you feel burnt out or tired. Maybe this season of life has been discouraging more than it's been encouraging. Well, the good news is Paul knew exactly how you felt. He was shipwrecked, imprisoned, beaten, and even stoned. And yet were his, what were his very words here in the beginning of our passage? He said, look back at verse 12. I thank him who has given me strength, power, energy, ability. Christ Jesus our Lord because he judged me faithful and appointed me to his service. It was out of the power of God and his grace and the spirit of God that God lifted Paul out of being a persecutor and a blasphemer and into being a pastor and a missionary and a church planner. And he called him into his service. And God does the same for each of us, that as we appreciate the grace of our God, where we've come from, our salvation out of our sin, we did not deserve, and he drags us and pulls us and saves us and redeems us. And then we begin to see how glorious and great our God is, and then we go and we offer our lives to our God to serve him. That is an honor and privilege to do so. So let us be the people that God desires for us to be. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, Lord God, for your graces. Lord, let us sit for a second in understanding the depth of our sin, our wrongdoing. Maybe it's our anger, our lust. Maybe it's the way that we handle our family or our kids. Maybe it's the way we interact with our spouse. Maybe it's the way we interact with those that we are at school. And Lord, we've missed the mark. Maybe it's, Lord, how we view Thanksgiving. Lord God, we want all the material things in this world. And we've been living for comfort, God whether than for the glories of God. 
Lord, as we come here this morning, let us ponder the depth of our sinfulness. Let us ask, Lord God, for forgiveness. Forgive me, God, for I have offended you. And out of that forgiveness, Lord, we receive grace and mercy. We receive love we did not deserve dispensed to us because of the sacrifice of your, sin, your son who took our sin. And it is in that place, Lord God, we began in our hearts to give thanks. We began to give praise. We began to give glory to our God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.